Hey, we're so glad you're here today. And I know Pastor Chuck already mentioned it, but we love you guys. We're so grateful yeah. in the room and online. We've got so many folks that join in. I, between services today, I got to meet a bunch of folks and most yeah. people that come here for the first time, two things, either they got stuck in traffic in front of us. And right. so they're like, all right, we'll just we're check just it out there. Yeah. or somebody invited them. And so if you've brought a friend over this last season, thanks for doing that. We love it when people yeah. tell other people and, and bring somebody, but Absolutely. we're excited about today. We're jumping into Zephaniah chapter two. So if you have a Bible or the Bible app, I'd love for you to jump in and follow along with us. Yeah. We're in the, we're using the new international version. So if you're in your uh, device and you want to pull that out, Zephaniah. So last week in Zephaniah, uh, we tackled chapter one. In, tack in tackling chapter one, one of the things we learned from Zephaniah is he, he is warning all people that there's coming a day of judgment. And I would encourage you if, you, if you missed last week, go back, watch it online, and especially watch, there is a, a short, about five minute video that gives you an overview of Zephaniah at the start of the preaching time. And you can find that at sugarhill.church slash Zephaniah. Don't forget to put the H on the end of Zephaniah. Have you done that before? I've done that several times. And so I encourage you to go back and watch this because today Zephaniah makes a bit of a turn as we head toward chapter three. Like chapter one is rut row, right? Yeah. Chapter two is rut row some more. And then chapter three is ah, oh, hope remains. Yeah. But the good news is he starts making that adjustment today in chapter two. And one of the things I love is Zephaniah was a prophet whose heart was to help the, the nation of Israel turned back to God. And so it's interesting, he was a good, he was a wonderful person because he spoke such deep truth. But what's cool about it, he's a great, great grandson of King Hezekiah, who was a good dude. Yeah. You know, you don't always read a lot of good kings in the story of the nation of Israel, but Hezekiah was one of the good guys. And so Zephaniah, Ladaniahs are there hanging out, and he is now a great, great grandson of this wonderful king. But after Hezekiah, there comes this long stream of kings that led the nation away from God and back to worship of idols. And what happened is they literally lost their way. I think it's easy to do is it's easy, if you know the story of Israel, they have seasons where everything goes really well, where they refocus and say, God, you're number one, you're in charge we worship you. And then there's seasons, a lot of these seasons where they begin to drift away. And so in the first part of the book, Zephaniah says, judgment's coming. Yeah. And I really think in the crowd and the nation of Israel, they were excited. They're like, yes, judgment's coming. It's called the day of the Lord or the right. great day of the Lord. Right. And it's a fascinating theme to study if you ever have a chance to do that. But I think in so many ways they got distracted and in the middle of it, they were thinking, man, God's judgment's coming to everybody else. And Zephaniah reminds them, no, God's judgment's coming for us as well. Mm -hmm. And the point of judgment wasn't primarily punishment. The, you know, it wasn't, hey, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna beat you up for no reason. Yeah. God really was in this process of purifying them, right, right. helping them come back to him. And I think in our lives, it's so easy for us to get caught up in the same stuff. And I think what's interesting for the nation of Israel is they were ready for God to judge everybody else. God, you judge all those evil nations right. around us. Right. But there was a problem. God wasn't just going to judge them. God was going to look at, at their hearts. Yeah, so like when I see this screen, whoa, there's a problem. I, this could easily be, could have been written last month yep. in regard to America. What, Houston, we have a problem yep. here. And we have the same problem they did. Yep. 2,660 years ago, we have the same problem today 
that they did then. And, and that challenge is, at the end of the day, the fact that nobody's seeking after the Lord. Nobody. And so Zephaniah says, hey, listen, remember Judah and Jerusalem. There's coming a day of judgment for everybody. You're not going to escape it. The question is, are you prepared for it? Right? So in chapter 1, he begins saying that God's going to judge not just all the people of the world. He's going to specifically judge the people of Judah and Jerusalem. And you're saying, whew, well, at least I'm not them. Well, hold on. You actually are. Because if you're a follower of Christ and you're in, the, you're in the kingdom as a result of that, then you are indeed who he's speaking to. All right? You are indeed Judah and Jerusalem. And what comes along with that is that he's... He's speaking of Zephaniah. He's so specific about the fact that nobody's immune from this day of judgment. You might carry your Bible everywhere you go. You might show up every Sunday morning. You might serve in preschool and go on mission trips and tithe, but you're not immune from this time. In fact, because of their special relationship with God and our special relationship with God, Zephaniah tells them and us, we're going to be judged. Now, not to harm them, like Bobby said, but to bring purity to the people. Once you start getting into chapter 2, what you begin to see is if in chapter 1, God speaks primarily to his people, in chapter 2, he zooms out a little bit. And he begins to list all of these surrounding nations, nations that honestly thought that they could get away with whatever they want to. Well, we don't believe in their God. We don't worship him. So we can do our own thing. But what becomes evident in chapter two is that even if nations don't say they follow God, even right. if they think they're exempt, God is going to judge them. And there's a lot of reasons. Sometimes people wonder, well, why is God judging them? If you look in the Bible and you look in biblical history, what you find is that these nations were awful. They right. did terrible things. Barbaric. They did barbaric things. And so God in chapter two begins to focus on them and I, I would say if you peel back all of the layers that was going on in all these two, these other nations, there's two big things, arrogance and pride. Yeah, absolutely. Arrogance and pride. And when you've got those underneath the operating system of your life, it leads to some really arrogant acts and some wicked activity. And so today, as we look in Zephaniah 2, it's really this tension of that arrogance and pride that honestly can be in all of us. Okay, now there, I think that's one of the key points in chapter 2 that Zephaniah is trying to make. So if you're here today and you say, well, I'm grateful I'm not like those people. I'm grateful I'm not barbaric like those people. Zephaniah is saying, well, you may have given your life to Christ 50 years ago and been in church every Sunday then, but there's a piece of arrogance within all of us. Yeah. And so... that. We have to recognize, and this is probably a tweetable statement, that there are always consequences to our arrogance. Yeah. Now, you could say, well, well Bobby, Chuck, I'm not, I'm not arrogant. When I watch this, I think Zephaniah, if he were sitting here between us right now and we said, Zephaniah, would you define what it means to be arrogant? I think Zephaniah would say, anytime you turn your back on the way of God and decide your way is best, that is an explicit display of arrogance. When you, when you just, and you could say, well, well, Chuck, but I don't mean to do that. Well, Chuck, I, I, do you know how busy I am? Can I give you this thought? God cares about how busy you are and yet at the same time wants to say, I don't care how busy you are. Because arrogance is proven when we don't carve time out for what should matter most in our life and there are always consequences to it. 
Take a look with me in uh, chapter 2. We're going to read through the whole thing today. Uh, I'm going to stop at about chapter 10, about verse 10, and Bobby's going to finish this up. But take a look at this. Gather together, gather yourselves together, you shameful nation. Before the decree takes effect and the day passes like wind-blown chaff. Before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's wrath come upon you, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, and who do what, and you do what he commands. Now listen to this. If you're going to highlight something, highlight this next phrase. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. Gaza will be abandoned and Ashkelon left in ruins at day, at midday. Ashdod will be empty and Ekron uprooted. Woe to you who live by the sea, you carefied people. The word of the Lord is against you. Canaan, the land of the Philistines, he says, I will destroy you and none will be left. The land by the sea will become pastures, having wells for shepherds and pens for flocks. And that land will belong to the remnant of the people of Judah. There they will find pasture. In the evening they will lie down in the houses of Ashkelon. The Lord their God will care for them. He will restore their fortunes. I have heard the insults of Moab and the taunts of the Ammonites who insulted my people and made threats against their land. Therefore, as surely as I live, declares the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, surely Moab will become like Sodom, the Ammonites, like Gomorrah, a place of weeds and salt pits, a wasteland land forever. The remnant of my people will plunder them. The survivors of my nation will inherit their land. So you see him addressing all of these nations that think, well, we're immune. We don't worship this God. And he's calling them out. Listen to what he goes on to say in verse 10. This is what they will get in return for their pride. Mm. Remember that theme of arrogance, pride. This is what they'll get for their pride, for insulting and mocking the people of the Lord Almighty. The Lord will be awesome to them when he destroys all the gods, little g gods of the earth. Distant nations will bow down to him, all of them in their own lands. Verse 12, you, you Cushites too will be slain by my sword. He will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria, leaving Nineveh utterly desolate and dry as the desert. Verse 14, flocks and herds will lie down, creatures of every kind. The desert owl will screech and the screech owl will roost on her columns. Their hooting will echo through the windows. Rubble will fill the doorways. The beams of cedar will be exposed. This is the city of revelry that lived in safety. She said to herself, I am the one. Here's that pride again. I am the one and there is none beside me. What a ruin she has become. A lair for wild beasts. All who pass by her scoff and they shake their fists. Mm. So the, the layout in, in this passage gives us these four nations that cover the, the north, south, east, and west. And so God, I believe, gives us a picture of this to let us know there's no escape. It looks like the ongoing thought. There's no escape. But he, he points out a few things in here. One of them, Pastor Bobby, is this concept of when you choose to sit on my throne, then you have made the fatal mistake, which is we have to recognize in America today, we are not God. He is. Yeah. We have to recognize there is but one God. And we are not him. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. Y'all, listen, I love Merca. I love Merkel. I mean, I cry when they play the national anthem. I mean, truly. 
I mean, I'm, I'm just full-blown red, white, and blue love America. But friend, listen, America's in desperate need to turn her heart back to God and stop sitting on the throne of Americanism and start sitting where we should, under the throne and the seat of God. Yeah, I, I, some preacher said this years and years ago. I wish I knew who it was to give them credit, but they said, if you want to get along with God, then stay off his throne. Ooh. Ouch. And so as you think about that, you, you think that about... That kid liked it. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Out of all of these nations, he, he lists nations that are north of them. He lists nations that are south of them. He lists nations that are west of them. He right. lists nations that are east of them. It's as if he uses these nations as a picture of the entire world. Yeah. And so there's these people in the world that are living like God's not in charge and they're living like they can do their own thing. They're living like right. they're the ones sitting on the throne. And this reminder is there are always consequences That's to living right. this way. And God says, you know what, I'm going to show up and all those things you put your hope in, all those things that you put your faith in, all those things that you thought you had under control, I am taking them away. That's the consequence. Yeah. There's a consequence anytime we live as if we're in charge. So true. Instead of God. Yeah. And part of, I think, what God is saying here through Zephaniah to us right now, when he gives the pictures of these nations, it's not just to give us a geography lesson, but it, but it is a picture to remind us in here, I'm in charge. Mm. You can take all the other faiths that you want to from any nation you want to. Uh, you, you, can, you can pick up the belief that we're going to all arrive at the same place at the same time, but God's saying that's just not true. You can form a nation and form a religion all you want, but nations and religions aren't what matter. The one thing that matters, are you seeking the Lord, hmm. the one true God of Israel? And you say, well, Chuck, I don't, I don't know that that's me. Well, the question that Zephaniah is really posing for us is do we have a course of action because there is the course of arrogance, which always leads us to something that's very American. Are you ready? Jot this down. Practical atheism. Practical atheism. Gather together. Gather yourselves together, you shameful nation. And he's not talking about just willful sin that we can call out and say, oh, I'm better than them. That shameful nation he's talking about is the arrogant men and women of the nation who have said, I don't need God because I don't make time for God. And you, uh, uh, kind of like last week, you'd say, well, Chuck, I don't have any of those idols like Baal in my life. Anytime we don't put God in the center and the head of our life, we are indeed idol worshiping. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it is. So before the decree takes effect and when that day passes, by the way, we're not talking about a 24-hour day. We're talking about a season of the return of the Lord, before the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you, we need to get this arrogance under control. Yeah, there's this, uh, the idea behind consequences and course is the consequences for all these other nations is even if you don't believe that God exists, he's still going to bring judgment. That's right. And yeah. he's still in charge, even if you don't believe that. And then the, the challenge of the course of this attitude is that same attitude that was out there begin to make its way inside right, the nation of right. Israel. So you mentioned that Hezekiah was a great king, but he was followed by several kings that were cruel to the intentions of God, cruel to the things of God. In right. fact, they basically shut down public worship within the nation. They took this temple that was the centerpiece of all of worship and they locked it up. They stripped it of its gold. They stripped it of its glamor. They essentially said, 
don't worry about worshiping the true God. And anytime you quit worshiping the true God, you're going to be tempted to worship everybody and everything else because we were wired. We're we're just created to worship. And so if we're not worshiping God, we end up worshiping all these other things. And we end up really practical atheists where we say, well, of course I believe in God, but we don't necessarily live like he's in charge. So that, that attitude then, Bobby, is it made its way into the nation of Israel. But the fact of the matter is it's made its way into America. I mean, we are a nation, and we, we have people sitting in churches all across America in this hour who are practical atheists. And, and it's easy to say, well, not me, Chuck. No, 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 no. I go to church. I give. I go on. A, I help Mal do the mission stuff every now and then. I, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And yet God is intently saying, though, but if you're not making room for me, you are a practical atheist. You might be as sure for heaven as if you're sitting in a gray chair right now or at home sitting in, in, your, in your living room. But God's saying, but all that stuff doesn't matter. What matters is the heart. Are you seeking after me? Yeah. And so the question is, when we worship, are we putting God in the back seat? And we know that based on the time we give God and the time we allow the Spirit of God to direct us. It kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about like when we give, it's all a matter of the heart. Yeah. Is Jesus at the center of our heart? Is that where our focus is? And if not, we are a practical atheist. It, because the practical atheist, honestly, if you think about it, this, this is the simple version. I trust Jesus for heaven, yeah. but I don't think he really get, wants to get involved in my day-to-day activity. Right. That's a practical atheist. Yeah. I, I believe in Jesus for heaven, but let's face it, tomorrow morning, I got to hurry and go to the office. I don't have time for him. That's a practical atheist. Yeah. A practical atheist would be going into a difficult meeting and they'd talk to three or four people around their office about office politics about what they need to do rather than closing their door and praying for two or three minutes to try to ask the Lord, would you step in and give me abundance of wisdom? And if you're sitting here or watching online, and you're saying, well, Chuck, I just don't think God cares about that part of my life. Here's the great news. Are you ready? There's not a part of your life that God doesn't care about. No. He wants it all. Yeah. And so I, I think... Zephaniah here is trying to say they believed that God was real, which is one thing, right? I mean, head knowledge. That, but they lived as though he wasn't in charge. Did, did you get that? You can believe God all you want, but if you don't let him be in charge of your life, then we're practicing some measure of idol worship and some measure of atheism. So what, is, what, so, so what do we do about that? There's some symptoms that I think we see in the other nations and symptoms we see in ourselves, and I'll, I'll rattle them off for you to think about, and we'll put them on the slide as well. But self-sufficiency, self-importance, and self-exaltation. Ouch. So these, these are things that the other nations were doing that leaked their way into the nation of Israel, and I think they leak their way into our lives. This idea of self-sufficiency, I've got this. Yeah. There's a sense where that's healthy to, to own your life, but when you act that way, when you sit on the throne of your own heart, that's, that's dangerous. Self-importance, well, I'm valuable. I'm the, I'm the right person for the job. My, my work couldn't work without me. There's so many ways this plays out, or self-exaltation, where we begin to think, man, look at me, look how good I am. At least I'm not like that pastor guy over there that, uh, I don't know, I can't come up with anything funny right now, but. Uh, <laughs> but, but this is the point, self, do you see the point, the word self happening a lot here? 
Yeah. Be that's the center like, of it all. It's, yeah. it's like the world revolves around me and we forget there right. is a God right. and we're not him. Right. And so for us to say, all right, there's consequences. God's going to judge. I need to look at the course of my own life because pride undealt with is going to lead somewhere. It's going right. to lead to self-sufficiency, self-importance, self-exaltation. And if I don't remedy that soon, it's going to be a course that I wish I could undo. Yeah. So, so if you're sitting here today and maybe you have read something that I've written or Julie and I, Julie Homerich and I have put out there about self-care, don't confuse self-efficacy and self-care with selfishness. There's a big, big difference here. This is not a fine line. It's a big old fat honking line. And it's easy to know whether you're crossing it or not. Yep. Because self-efficacy and self-care allows you to stop and have time and make time to get the presence of God in you and activating it. Yep. Not going to get a massage. Are you with me? Now, don't get me wrong. Listen, if you're one of those massage people, it feels so creepy to me to do that, but just whatever. But if you, I mean, seriously, nobody wants to touch all this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, but there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to say there's something wrong with it. What I'm trying to say is that before you get your massage, spend some time with the Lord. Before you do self-care, get the most important thing. Like, make the main thing the main thing. Yeah. Don't lose sight of that. And I love that picture of last week where everybody, if you're here, everybody got this little mirror. Yep. And it was this reminder to look in the mirror. What do I see? What do I see? Are there areas of my life where I'm off track? Are there areas of my right. life I'm veering away? And so this is a great reminder for us today is to say, all right, maybe I'm not one of these nations, but is there a sense of spiritual pride? Is there a mm. sense of spiritual arrogance in my life? There's going to be consequences. It sets me on a course but the good news is, is there is a cure for it. There is yep. a cure for spiritual so arrogance. Good. There's a cure for spiritual pride. And simply in verse 3, here's what Zephaniah says to the people. And I'd love for you to look at this. Here's verse 3. He says, seek the Lord. Mm -hmm. Seek the Lord. It's like, remember, it reminds me of what James says in the New Testament. He says, uh, that we're to draw near to God and he will draw near to us. And so it's this reminder for us, if our distraction is we become practical atheists, well, let me refocus on who matters the most. He says, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, mm. you who do what he commands, seek righteousness, seek humility. And then he says, perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. But I love that idea, seek him. Yeah, and so it, there, is, there is a sense that if you want to avoid the trap of practical atheism, then that scripture activates your faith. When your faith is activated, then we begin to act, live, and adore the Lord some more. So even though it seems like it, this is like last minute, hey, get your junk together, he's saying, listen, we don't know when that time is. You don't know whether you have tomorrow. You need to work on it now. And even though that it, he never uses the words in this chapter like, turn or repent, it is the heart behind what Zephaniah is saying that is so doggone critical because it has something to do with our everyday life. Yeah, I love the sense of urgency that he has. Yeah. As he's writing this, you have the sense of this is something we, that's important. 
This is something we need to deal with now. He says, gather together, gather yourselves together, you shameful nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes like the wind-blown shaft, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's wrath. Seek the Lord. There's this urgency. Yeah. And I think sometimes we we accidentally just sort of lull through life thinking, well, I'll wait till another day to get my life together. I'll wait until the next season, then I'll take it. Once I get out of school, then I'll seek the Lord. Or once I get married, then I'll seek the Lord. Or once I have 2.5 kids, like the national averages, then I'll seek the Lord. Or once I buy a minivan with 17 cup holders, then I'll seek the, sorry, (laughs) then I'll seek the Lord. When I retire, then I'll seek the Lord. There are some moms out there right now that hate you. I know, I know. As I'm going to Chick-fil-A, then I'll seek the Lord. Why is it I only crave it on Sunday? Just move on to the next All right. point. We always think, man, maybe I'll wait until then to seek the Lord. And Zephaniah right. gives us this urgency. Yeah. We don't have a promise of tomorrow. That's right. We don't know when this day is going to be. Right. And so while we have time, while we have margin, while there's still breath in our lungs to say, I want to turn back to God. Yeah. Because the truth is, we all have hearts that are what we would call idol factories. If we're not careful, we create idols about everything. Our jobs, our houses, our cars, our stuff. Our Our football team. Our football teams. And I always pray that the Bulldogs are going to win on Saturday so that... Do you even know what season it is? Yeah. This time I do. What are we playing right this season? Softball? (laughs) Okay, so he gives us three ways... Welcome to the world of Chuck and Bobby. So he gives us these three ways. You know it's football. You're playing with me. I am. I am. All right. So he gives us these three ways. He says, number one, seek the Lord. Right? And I I think to avoid being a practical atheist, we need practical, tangible understanding of the scripture. How do I seek the Lord? Well, I want you to think about this. Go read a chapter of Proverbs a day, one for each day of the month. You say, Chuck, I don't have that amount of time then I would say to you, then you are indeed a practical atheist. But Chuck, I, I, I need somebody spoon for me. I don't read well. Go listen to the weekday podcast that gets cranked out fresh and anew every weekday, year round. We've done thousands of these things already where Bobby and I just give you a piece of scripture and a short commentary. Well, Chuck, I, I don't have time for that. Do you drive? Do you walk? Do you exercise? Do you breathe? Because if you can do any of the above, you can seek the Lord. Number two, seek righteousness. Yeah. I mean, this concept that when you focus on God, you cannot help but see the gap in the way we think and the way he wants us to live. We seek after God's standard. That's, that's the chase after righteousness. Yeah. And then third, seek humility. And this means, it's this simple, y'all. If, like, if you're here today and you know somebody and you're like, well, they're not, they're not, they're not humble then you just prove you're not either, right? Because at at, at the end of the day, this means to submit and depend on God alone. Yeah. There's no room for us when we do that. These are super practical to say, you know what, as best as I can every single day, I'm going to do these three things. As best I can, when I wake up, I'm going to do, instead of looking at social media, what if I took time to say, God, today belongs to you? Or to use meal yeah. times to say, God, I, I'm going to seek you. God, I'm right. going to humble myself. One piece of advice I got years and years ago, probably in the late 80s, was somebody that said to keep a short sin list. Keep a short sin list. That's a great, I mean, that's a great line. The idea behind it is oftentimes we allow sin to build up in our lives. Yeah. 
And over time, as we allow it to build up, what begins to happen is our hearts get less tender to the Lord. Yeah. And so when you've got weeks or months or even years of sin that hasn't been dealt with, mm-hmm. it's very difficult to hear from God. Yeah. It's very difficult to feel like your prayers make it past the ceiling. It's very difficult right. to have senses. You look around the room or online and you see people worshiping. And you're like, how come I don't feel that? How come I don't right. sense that? And oftentimes it's because sin has calloused our hearts. You know, it's interesting. When our, when our hearts grow stiff and cold, when it's calloused, yeah. we don't even know it's happening to us. Because the further we are away from the, the divine's plan for our life, the easier it is not to chase after it or desire it. And so it could be that you're online or in the room today and you say, well, my heart really is calloused, Bobby, Chuck. I need to know what to do about that. Well, it's so cool because anybody, any person can fall into the trap of arrogance. But please hear us say, we're in no way saying we've got this figured out. I'll promise you the two of us wrestle with this all day, every day. And the reason we do is we're human. You know, I mean, you're better at it than I am. I mean, you're 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 naturally nicer, more humble guy than I am. But well, I but, hate to brag. But, I know, uh, see, but I'm pretty humble. Pretty humble. You know, he's a little feisty today, isn't he? Yeah. Listen to verse fifteen. There you go. Listen to verse uh, fifteen. This is the city of revelry that lived in safety. She said to herself, I am the one, and there is none beside me. What a ruin she has become, a lair for wild beasts, all who pass by her scoff and shake their fists. I mean, listen, listen to the first part of the end. This is a city of revelry that lived in safety. She said to herself, I am the one, and there is none beside me. Does that remind you of any country today? Does that remind you of a of a country today that knows what we were founded upon but fights against it all day every day who knows what we are to be but runs from it all day we we love to claim that america is a christian nation and i would argue that that we're not a christian nation we were a nation founded by christian people who longed for it to be but we grew to become a nation of practical atheists that fill our churches on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 because our heart grew calloused. It goes on and it says, what a ruin she's become. All who pass by her scoff and shake their fists. Sound, sound vaguely familiar about where America is with the world today? Because I wrote in my notes here, be careful not to claim a deity that you don't have. It's similar to Bobby's, don't sit on God's throne. That's not for you. I believe that's a word for America today. I wrote, uh, I'd love to write myself these little sticky notes in my Bible. I wrote this morning in preparation, I said, be sensitive to God's call today so that you might be sheltered in the day of judgment. Mm-hmm. There's a sense in this chapter of there can, there's always a remnant. Yeah. There's always yeah. a remnant. And one of the one of the contemporaries during this time of Zephaniah was King Josiah. Mm. And if you don't know his story, Josiah was shoved into kingship when his dad was murdered and Josiah was just eight years old. Yeah. Think about that. I don't know what you're doing when you're eight. I was not doing king kind of stuff at no. eight. 
I do but, remember blowing, blowing a GI Joe up when I put three firecrackers together, stuffed them in his pants, twisted the things, lit it, and let him go down a, one of those steel slides. Yeah. That was awesome. If there's any kids in the room, you're giving them ideas right now. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. <laughs> but what I love about Josiah is Josiah was contemporaries with Zephaniah and also uh, Jeremiah, and what began to happen for Josiah is he kept hearing about the Lord. Yeah. And what happened is in his 20s, he decided, I want to restore the temple. I want right. to restore worship. And in the process, they found the lost book of the Old Testament, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Torah. And what began to happen is this king who became king when he was eight in his 20s read this his heart was broken over the things that they had been ignoring, how yeah. they'd become like the other nations. Yeah. And because of his sensitive heart, led the nation in 40 years of revival. Wow. God can use you and me if we'll have humble hearts and seek him. And instead of having this list of sins to say, you know what? To have a short sin list means as soon as I know it, I confess it. That's right. As soon as I step away and I'm aware of it, come back to him right. and keep that list short so that my heart right. can remain tender. Whew. So let's close up today. Would you just close your Bibles, turn your devices off, just kind of sit there, put your hands in your lap, take a deep breath, let your shoulders slump, let those facial muscles go from tense to just relax. Take a deep breath. Go ahead. I want you to receive this prayer. Amazing God, there's more to life than we can see or we could fathom. Yet how often we try to shrink your mystery, to tame your dream for us, to limit what is possible. Remind us that the Spirit, oh, I love this, remind us that the spirit of always is always blowing new life into our days, surprising us with wonder and blessing. Forgive us for our dull awareness and hesitant witness. Let us be made new again and again, no matter our age. And let us hear again and again of your mercy and your grace. Amen, amen, and amen. Zach's going to lead us, but I don't want you to stand. I just want you to prayerfully receive this song. I don't even want you to try to sing it. I just want you to prayerfully receive this song. I wrote down, again, in my, my Bible, Bobby, there's so many things in our music today that the king of my heart be the mountain I run to. So when I fight, I fight on my knees. And in this song we're about to sing, the, the one who reigns forever, he is your friend. The God of angel armies. is right by your side. Oh my. So I want to invite you today, as Zach sings, maybe there's 
Maybe there's a bit of laying down at the altar you need to do today and let the Lord take up that battle. Maybe there's some practical atheism happening in your soul. Maybe there's something you need to let go of. Maybe there's something specifically you need to grab hold of. There's nothing magical about an altar, but there's something wondrous about the posture of kneeling before a heavenly God because as we kneel, we are literally introducing humility into our walk with God. God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. And in a church like this, people are going to sit there and they're going to say, well, you know, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I need to go down to the altar, but I don't know whether I should or not. I, I don't want to look super spiritual or something. So here's what I want to ask you. If there's, there's a few of you, man, I know what's going on in your life. And you desperately ought to come to the altar. So I'm going to ask you right now, just get up and make, start making your way to the altar. When two or three of you do, there'll be more of you that do. Zach, let's sing. Y'all come to the altar. Leave it all right there. Y'all come. You hear me when I call. You are my morning song. Y'all come on. Though darkness fills the night, it cannot hide right. the light. Y'all come on. Whom shall I fear? Mm. You crush the enemy. Yes. Jesus, our Savior, our King, and our Lord, the hope that remains, Jesus, our Lord. God, let us start with our own heart and let us chase after you this week. God, for every person that's come to this altar, would you wash over them afresh and anew with your spirit? God, would you anoint them with fresh oil? Would you give them courage to walk with you and to trust you with what they've laid down at your feet? For those at home, for those in this crowd, like speak into their life tomorrow morning to remind them to get them into a new habit of chasing after you. And may we seek you this week and seek you with all our heart and our mind and our soul because you are worthy beyond anything we could imagine. And we pray this knowing you hear us. And oh God, we thank you that you answer us 
In the name of Jesus, our Lord, amen, amen, and amen. So this week, let this Jesus we've spoken of go before you and make a way. That's what he does. Let him go within you and bring you peace and joy, fulfillment and contentment. Listen to this, because he is always good. Hey, friend, listen, and you are always loved. And let this Jesus come along behind you. When life beats you up and it's difficult, so he can pick you up and carry you. I love this about the Lord, not, not around the problem, but right through the middle of it. So that when he sets you down on your two feet victoriously and wipes away your tears and kisses you on the forehead, you can't help but know that this was my Savior that carried me. Because when you do that, he's going to wrap his arms around you and you can hear him say directly to your soul, my child, say it with me, I love you. Oh, my friend, the God of angel armies is always by your side. God bless you. Go in peace. Oh, come on. If you're going to clap, clap. Let's go. Yeah.